0: Hi, guys. Quick one before we get into the episode. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster, which is the production suite that I've used from the very beginning of this podcast. And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, hang around at the end of the episode for our 30% discount referral code. Thanks.
1: So, our podcast is called Right and Wrong.
0: So are these are your notes these <laughs> are these your notes about what we're going to say uh, anything Just yeah, a short answer <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish oh my Probably. god so many <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect what's she talking about this is not <laughs> <laughs> a spicy question. I love it. <laughs> this is it, The big secret to getting published you have to write a good book. <laughs> you had it here first. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today I'm joined by another literary agent from the Darley Anderson Agency. It's the lovely Lydia Silver. Hi Lydia.
1: Hi, it's lovely to be here.
0: Yeah, welcome to the show. It's really great to have you. Let's start by saying... I spoke to your colleague recently, Chloe mm-hmm. Davis. Um, so I know that September is a busy time for agents as that's, that's what she said. And, <laughs> it then, I, is. and then I was thinking, is there ever not a busy time for literary <laughs> agents?
1: Uh- I mean, to an I suppose Christmas.
0: Well, publishing kind of shuts
1: down (laughs) from December, and -hmm. I wouldn't be sending anything out. But having said that, last year I spent the whole of December getting a manuscript ready to go out on submission in January. So it maybe wasn't quite as quiet as I thought. And the other time that everyone says is more quiet is the summer. But again, I've actually sold a couple of things this summer, so I can't guarantee that that's the case either. So. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think there's any really, really downtime. It's that yeah. sort of thing where you're there's always something nagging at you like, oh, I should be reading this or I should be considering this. Um if you're not reading, you feel a little bit guilty about it. But mm-hmm.
0: yeah,
1: you kind of balance <laughs> your own time though. So it all works out.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those jobs that doesn't really stay within the set times of the premise. Like all throughout the year you're always receiving submissions. So like that never slows or stops.
1: Yeah, it's very much, it's a job that kind of can expand to fill whatever time you allow it and you get submissions whenever. And we don't shut to submissions. I think some agencies do, Mm -hmm. but we stay open because it's more kind of, if we have the time, we'll go and read them. And also I can't stand the thought of missing out on something great (laughs) that didn't get sent to me. (laughs) So I have it open anyway. Um, But it very much is that we kind of look at our own time, try and work it out that way. And if I'm really slammed for a few weeks my submissions will just have to wait. It's it's sort of that sort of calculations.
0: Yeah. And I think anyone who's sort of looked under the hood a little bit understands that that will always be the way for you know, the other agents I've spoken to. Mm-hmm. The priority is always with your pre-existing clients. They have to come first.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're the people that we actually have an ongoing relationship, the people we have a duty for. Mm-hmm. I feel really protective of them and I really care about their careers and I never want them to feel like they're not a priority. They are completely our priority. Um, I love discovering new books. It's one of the most exciting things, but I wouldn't be a good agent if I wasn't putting my existing clients first.
0: Yeah, of course. And from a from a writer's perspective, why would they want you to be an agent if you weren't putting? Yeah, you know your 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 clients first.
1: Yeah, if you want to be my if you want to be someone's client, you want to be the priority, and you exactly, would be. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, So let's dial it back a bit um, before we get into the the nitty gritty and the details. Mm-hmm. Where did you get your start in publishing?
1: Um, <laughs> it was a slightly weird route, so I don't think I knew that publishing even really existed beyond the fact that books (laughs) lived on shelves um, until the end of uni. And everyone that I lived with and all of my friends were applying for grad courses and had careers planned out. um, And I just panicked, thought about what I actually liked and what I was good at. and It wasn't a very long list, um, but books (laughs) came quite high up on that. So I Emailed a few people just out of the blue, had a couple of conversations with people and was lucky enough to get a couple of weeks of work experience at Random House. Um, turns out it was very weird timing because it was when it was merging uh, oh, to Penguin.
0: Wow. I was having
1: a lovely week. I had the best time. <laughs> Everyone else looked a bit stressed and I didn't quite work out why until afterwards that it was literally like the two weeks of the merger. Yeah. Um, but I loved it. I was working in their children's editorial team and because it's publishing and it was, unpa- it was only work experience, so it was unpaid. I was <laughs> sneaking a sleeping bag into the office, hiding wow. it under the desk, and then <laughs> going to various friends' sofas and things like that. But I just loved being around so many books and being around children's books. I think I hadn't thought about them in the same way before. So I then, when that was, that was like kind of Easter time. And then in the summer, I applied for the Penguin um, Summer Internship Skip scheme sorry internship <laughs> scheme yeah I haven't spoken that much today That's um the one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you uh so the internship scheme which was brilliant that was paid and it was uh, partly in marketing and partly in editorial for Michael Joseph who do kind of really big commercial stuff and it was it was great fun it was surprisingly glamorous I became the go-to person for sourcing personalized biscuits oh um, wow yeah it was a <laughs> Honestly, basically 90% of my job. I no. found biscuits that looked exactly like one of Sue Perkins' dogs wow. and um, other biscuits that were like mock up penguin covers, but with various celebrity names on. It weirdly was a huge part of my job. Um, I, I, enjoyed <laughs> well, I was going to ask
0: what you did, but they yeah, basically <laughs> biscuits. Biscuits, <apparently. laughs>
1: biscuits and um, I do remember one day spray painting 1000 Dummies Gold because someone was doing a book kind of about the, I think, whoever the first royal baby was had just been oh my born
0: God.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, so the marketing team it was a very interesting place to be and you know lots of very weird but fun uh job aspects of it yeah but I missed children's and I missed that kind of burst of creativity so someone got in touch offering a role at Egmont in the editorial team mm-hmm. and um when I interviewed for it I was shocked to find that I got it and I think again it was down I think it was honestly down to I worked in some very weird eco theme park um, during the summers at uni and um, one of the editors had been there and I honestly think that's what got me the job we just talked about that I didn't talk about books or any of my actual skills well, there you go. I loved it there it was great um, and I did a bit of bit of commissioning um, I actually only ever really commissioned one book, uh, which was The Poet X. Um, and I loved that experience. I loved working really closely with authors and realized yeah. that actually what I was good at was that early commissioning part. Like I loved, I put together a whole pitch about like exactly who would buy this book and what music they were listening to and what films they were watching and all sorts of things. And it's that sort of thing I really enjoyed. And I realized uh, that kind of agenting maybe is a better fit. That's a bigger part of the job there. So uh, and then I was lucky enough that Claire Wallace asked me to cover her maternity leave, and then I just stayed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I never left.
1: <laughs> never left. So, we're like, would you like to? Would you theoretically like? To I was yes, please. I'm never leaving. Just kind of <laughs> force myself in there.
0: there. Was Was it a hard transition going f- from working for a publisher and editorial to becoming an agent?
1: Um. Yes. Well, yes and no. I was really lucky in that I had a whole list to to cover i didn't have to build my list from scratch at
0: the oh, start okay.
1: um yeah because i think that's one of the hardest parts of starting agenting is building your list and build yeah. you know you have to build a sort of you have to be reasonably well known enough for people to want to work with you it's sort of is self perpetuating once it starts going but it's hard to get started but i was lucky enough that for for the first year i was running someone else's list so every problem that came up
0: of course i had
1: a chance to kind of practice Practice is the wrong word. It was an actual job. I was doing stuff, but <laughs> I <laughs> but I, I kind of experienced what it looked like to have a full list before I then went and built my own. So yeah. although the transition was hard, I had all of that background. And in some ways coming from editorial really helped. I still feel like I can kind of read between the lines a little bit when editors email or know what they're referring to and understand kind of the time things take. I mean, publishing is is so slow and knowing what the editors are probably doing in those gaps it's quite reassuring especially when your clients yeah. they're like i've not heard anything for three months is anything happening here i can be like yes actually here's the stages it's going through
0: oh uh, yeah 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 so yeah. when you so you so you came on as maternity leave mm-hmm. cover took on uh, claire wallace's list did you did you i'm guessing you didn't add anything to that list while she was away
1: I, t- well, I took on a couple of people. Um, I right. took on Rashmi Pandey back then as well, actually, cause, um, who's still on my list now and a couple of other people. Um, Lisa Richardson, who uh, has a YA coming in the future as well. Um, but I took them on as myself. Um, oh, okay. By the time I was taking them on, we I kind of knew I was going to stay because mm-hmm. I think lists are really personal. Yeah. And it's, it would have felt odd to add people to Claire's list without her choosing them I think is so much about personal taste and personal connection I wouldn't have felt comfortable being like oh I found this great author and now you've got to look after them goodbye (laughs) (laughs) like what if they didn't think they were great um so I sort of did a tiny bit of list building of my own while I was covering Claire's list but really didn't take on much until I had my own I just think Yeah, I mean, we, as an agency, we're really close. We talk all the time. Chloe might have mentioned, like, we discuss everything. But ultimately, a list is still oddly personal. I think more so than a publisher's list in some ways.
0: Yeah, I think so. Because the publisher's list is more of a commercial um, outlook. Whereas yours is more of like, I mean, the the relationship between an author and their agent is uh, a very, like, personal business arrangement.
1: Definitely. I mean, there are kind of commercial considerations. I'm taking Mm -hmm. on things that I hope will sell, but also I have the space to take on things that I'm not sure if they'll sell. (laughs) I just think they should. You'd never do that as a publisher. You wouldn't be like, I have no idea, but this is great. Yeah, Um, exactly. You get to do that as an agent. It's one of the things I love the most being like, I don't, I don't know where I'll sell this. I'm not quite sure who the right person is, but I love it. It's that sort of personal thing. And you're right. It's that relationship as well. I, you do so much as an agent, you know so much about your authors, and you're kind of more involved in like their lives in some mm-hmm. ways. I think it's yeah. it is a business relationship, but quite a, uh, quite an intense one
0: yeah, I think from the agents that I've met or spoken to it, it, and the people you know my friends who who talking about their agents, it's mm-hmm. one of those business re, business relationships that sort of borders on um, friendship in, in, in a lot of ways.
1: Definitely. I think the boundaries get quite blurred.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For, for better or for worse. <laughs>
1: for better or worse. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not the best at keeping my boundaries up, but um, I quite like that. I mean, you don't work in this unless you care about people. That's the other odd thing about agenting because it's very kind of, publishing as an industry can be a little bit introverted, but I think as an agent, you have to be quite extroverted. You have to want to talk to all these people. So you get to care about them a lot. And I know kind of lots of details about people's lives and who they are kind of on a deeper level because that's what comes into their books and knowing where they come from helps me kind of shape their books in the first place and know where to pitch them so yeah it's this very odd we're working together but actually it's a much bigger relationship than that kind of situation.
0: Yeah especially when and Chloe mentioned that everyone at the agency is very editorial and Mm hands-on with their authors so especially when you are um, sort of co-creating it in a way you are like you know you're part of the creative vision you need to have a sort of understanding that goes beyond just the nuts and bolts
1: yeah definitely and I think especially with some of my clients and the kind of the way I'm building my list in the books that I want to represent that becomes extremely important so I really want to represent people from underrepresented backgrounds people who don't see themselves in publishing it's kind of A huge driver of my list, but that often means talking to people who've got an experience that I don't share or a background that I've never experienced before, don't really have much understanding of. So you need to know them and their experiences really inside out to be able to edit. I don't want to kind of just shove my own viewpoint across everything and blank out everything that's important to them. And so it does have to be, when you're working editorially, much more of a conversation and much more about kind of. Pinning down what someone is really trying to say, um, and a few things I've kind of sold on proposal, or we've worked together on a synopsis, or we've worked together on kind of an outline and maybe a couple of chapters. And again, you have to know what the author is trying to say to do that, because you're the one summarising it and you're the one kind of laying it out. There. So it becomes a really deep, quite involved conversation.
0: Yes, but and and that's also one of the you know one of the great things I think about reading is that you can experience so much and sort of build so much empathy uh, about experiences that you you have no knowledge of or have never even come close to in real life so
1: yeah definitely it's that kind of um windows and doors thing it's you know a wind uh, i think it's windows and mirrors not windows and doors sorry but <laughs> <laughs> makes more sense like you look and look out onto something new or you can see your own experiences reflected back and you need yeah. to have both of them i think they're equally important
0: Oh yeah. That's a, that's, I like that. It's really good.
1: I definitely didn't come up with that. I just can't remember <laughs> who the person was who did not mine.
0: <laughs> that's great. Okay. So let's get into the, the weeds of this of the stuff then. Let's mm-hmm. talk about um, the thing that I love talking about with agents, uh, submissions. Sure. Uh, first off, just to, just to sort of get a gauge of, of where we're at and how busy you are, I guess. On average, and I, and I don't know if it's easier to do this by week or month, how many submissions do you do you receive?
1: Um, I'm just sitting here trying to do the maths in my head. Um, <laughs> I actually don't get as many as some of the agents at our agency. Claire, I know, gets over 100 a week. Um, yeah, I know it's crazy. I don't get as many. I would say I probably get 30 or 40 a week, um, which is much more manageable. possibly a few more, maybe like 50. Um, But I think I've found that because I'm not the main agent in a way at our agency, I'm not the manager, I'm not running it, and I'm not the very first face you see if you click on our About Us bit on the website. Um, So the submissions I get tend to be a little bit more targeted, um, which is really lovely. Um, I tend to find that I don't get quite as many that are just, this isn't even a children's book or this is clearly never going to be for me most of the ones i get are things i have to properly consider because they have been chosen for me and there's a reason for that and they're quite good
0: well that's great
1: yeah i'm really lucky in that way I, <laughs> I get all the good stuff i don't have to do the first bit of like weeding them out
0: but i mean if you're getting 50 mm-hmm. that's uh, so it's um for fiction it's uh first three chapters 20 pages which i'm imagining is about ten thousand mm words mm-hmm. so that's 500,000 words a week
1: (laughs) it would be if I read all first chapters of every book but I don't I have to be honest Um, I tend to tackle my submissions in the same quite a set way so I'll read the cover letter first um, just to kind of check that it's not you know this is actually an adult book or this is a book about something that I would never ever consider in a million years Um, then I go and I read the first page or even the first few lines just to get a sense of the writing um so I I do do that for every submission apart from the ones that are way way off base um but honestly we're talking maybe a paragraph couple of paragraphs maybe a page if I like that I'll then go and read the synopsis to check that the story holds up to kind of the pitch and the voice and all of that and only then will I go and read the rest of the chapters so I actually don't do that for I probably do that for maybe 10% of what I get. Um, The rest of it I've worked out before then. Actually, this probably isn't quite right for me. I think you know quite quickly. I think it gets quite instinctive after a while. Yeah. Whether someone's got a voice that you love or whether you're like, I just can't quite get on board with it.
0: Yeah. And then obviously from the synopsis, whether the story is going to pan out in in a way that you think would work.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's why I asked for spoilers and stuff. I want to know all the nuts and bolts. I want to know everything that happens. Um, I know some people absolutely hate that. And I think actually out of everyone at the agency, I spend more time reading the synopsis than anyone else. But oh. I find them so helpful. I love knowing where the plot is taking me because you don't get a lot of context, even from a cover letter. You know, it's less context than a book. So you don't have the, co- you don't have the actual book cover. You don't have where it sits in the bookshop. You don't have the quotes you don't have the blurb you don't have all the kind of visual clues that when you pick up a book you get so i actually find the synopsis really useful just for grounding not only for the storytelling but for grounding me within the, the genre and the area of the market and all of that i really rely on it i love them
0: okay do you look for those kinds of things uh, you know in an ideal cover letter would there be those kinds of things laid out there is that something you like to see
1: Yeah, I find it really helpful. I mean, it's your kind of your only clue into it. So yeah, an ideal cover letter. I'd love one that had like a couple of really good comparison titles, really clear this is exactly what the the pitch is and all of that. Um, But I also know that that's a big ask. And I love pitching. It's one of the things I think I'm probably best at out of my job. I adore it. But um, not everyone good writer is a good picture then they're not necessarily the same thing so I do cut people a bit of slack and that's why I spend so much time on the synopsis as well but yeah ideally yeah I'd love it all just like in the cover letter to start with that would make my life so much easier
0: (laughs) yeah that's the thing that I hear a lot is that you can really help your submission by doing um, doing some sort of of your own market research and really finding how this would fit because agents will be able to get on board with it a lot quicker if you if you lay that out for them
1: Definitely. And I mean, I think people get quite hung up on the idea of comparison titles and they look for books that are exactly the same or 99% the same. Um, But I literally, when I'm submitting, I use lines like, for fans of, or this would sit on a shelf alongside. And then you can kind of widen it out. It's much more about positioning it literally within a bookshop than for saying, this is exactly like this book, but it's so helpful when someone does that.
0: Okay. Okay. So when, when you, uh, when you are getting stuck into submissions, um, is it the sort of thing that you set, uh, time aside to do and just do loads at once or do you dip in and out?
1: It's a bit of both. Um, when they very first come in, I skim them just Mm, to see, is there something that I should be jumping on? And occasionally something in that will just stand out so much that I'm like, I'm going to put everything else I'm doing aside today. I'm going to make a lot of people very annoyed at me and I'm going to just read this submission. Um but most of the time I will file it to look at in more detail later because I think I need a certain amount of uninterrupted time to consider them properly and I kind of it sounds really stupid and it's but um I do think you have to be in a certain mindset to consider them. I have to feel kind of awake and engaged and creative and so that doesn't happen every day, especially if I know that I've also got 20 emails from pissed off editors and worried <laughs> authors and things like that. So um, I do tend to do it in bulk, but I always have a very quick look just in case to start with.
0: So that that cursory glance that you were talking about where you kind of mm-hmm. look over the cover letter, you you read maybe a paragraph or so and then jump to the synopsis. That's your sort of first glance?
1: Oh, no, that's more in depth. My first glance oh, that's is in literally depth. <laughs> like, I know, my first glass, <laughs> glance is skim read the cover letter um just to be like i occasionally have like you know i have a couple of things that i specifically am looking for and if it hits that exactly or if it's someone i've actually kind of realized oh i've been in conversation with them before then i'll jump on it um so for example um i recently sold a book called cosmo unfortunate steals a star um and i'd seen an early version of it um as part of a mentorship program so when that came in, I sca- skimmed the cover letter as I always do while filing it. Realized it was that, and then did nothing else all day and just read it. Um, but mostly, it's a very, very quick skim, and then I go back and read it properly. Read the opening lines. Read the synopsis. Probably go back again. That's a much more kind of in-depth way of looking at it for me.
0: Okay. Okay. Right. 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 And when you're w- when you're you know um, looking at something, uh, are there any? red flags whether in the cover letter the synopsis or the or the manuscript itself that that give you pause about a submission
1: i don't think there's anything that's a complete red flag i would never ever you put this and i've been it Mm. set up um other than obviously something you don't represent something i literally don't represent (laughs) but even then you'd probably get a reply just me being like yeah i don't actually represent this yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i suppose things that would make me pause In the cover letter, I find it really worrying when people say um, there is nothing good in this area out there, which is why I've written this book. Or, you know, often it can be quite reductive. All YA Mm -hmm. is just about um, girls waiting to be rescued and vampires. Vampires. So I've written something else that just shows that you're A, not very engaged with the market, but also possibly not going to be the easiest person to work with. so that would always make me pause. I think synopsis is nothing in them unless it's like, oh my God, this has gone so off the rails. I don't know what on earth is going on. But a synopsis is hard. I cut people a lot of slack with synopsis. I think that's fine. Um, and then in the writing, again, it's not a complete red flag, but if something opens in a way that I have seen a lot, like if there's a, if it's a, uh, someone waking up in their bed, And then they go through the whole day situation that tends to suggest someone's just not quite ready to query that. I think people often have to write their way into books and that chapter is them writing their way into it. But they haven't yet learned to then get rid of that chapter. So it might suggest it's a bit early. But mostly it's anyone being kind of rude or derogatory about the genre or derogatory about agents we get sometimes, which I'm also like, why would you want one? Like, don't (laughs) don't submit to me if you think I'm going to be a terrible person. That's really the only thing that I'd be like, I really need to be careful if I want to represent this. Um, most things I'm open to, and I don't think there's any kind of genre-based thing or writing-based thing that I couldn't work with if everything else was amazing.
0: Yeah. It's interesting hearing you talk about when people sort of do anti-comparison, I guess, mm. where they say there's nothing like this. And then if even if that was true, then it would be a really hard sell because where would you, yeah. where, do, where does it fit in the, yeah. you know, in the bookshop? You, I you want say things that are like things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm actually about to go on submission with something that I am, I mean, there isn't anything like it, but it doesn't mean I can't just say, okay, well, there's nothing like it. But actually, if you like reading these authors, you're probably like this. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you've put it on a shelf alongside this. That's why I should say you don't have to be super specific on comparisons, but saying that there is absolutely nothing like it maybe that's for a reason
0: (laughs) yeah 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 because i mean i'm I'm trying to think of like you take a genre like speculative Mm sci-fi where almost the whole point is that the concept is as unique as it could be but it's you could still say oh for fans of you know X, they're very different but if you enjoyed that if you enjoy that kind of brain teasing or whatever whatever it is yeah you'll probably enjoy this as well
1: exactly you don't have to be like this is exactly the same book. Um, it's just being like, well, if you're if you like questioning the parameters of society, or if you like imagining what everything would be like if half the world disappeared, or you know, there's various different ways of doing it. It's just giving it kind of classmates, almost, you know, kind of <laughs> <laughs> other books that it can hang out with, so that I know, all exactly. oh, right, well, this is the right editor for it.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess a good good way to do it would be to if you had your own bookshop imagine where you would put this like what other books would be around it and then maybe those could be the comp titles
1: exactly it's almost like you know go and build make a window in your bookshop that centers your book but has a few others in it how would you spotlight it what would you recommend who would you recommend this to if they what other authors would you say oh if you love them you'd love this it's not about saying it's completely this book but everything kind of nothing exists in a creative vacuum anyway so there will be titles like that you will have read them or you know it doesn't even have to be a book-based title I quite like things that might compare film or tv or pull from other areas of culture I, li- I like books that feel quite zeitgeisty and sometimes that means the idea hasn't really had its day in books yet but maybe it's massive on Netflix there's, there's other ways of contextualizing
0: yeah I've seen a lot of comp comp titles for new and up and coming books with um mm-hmm. squid games yeah uh, yeah especially. A few of those.
1: yeah but exactly that shows me exactly what you mean though if you're saying squid games it's like okay so it's violent it's looking at kind of um you know our obsession with reality tv and and but also there's a kind of societal thing along there it's about kind of extremes and how far you'd go for something it tells you so much yeah or you could be leaning into like the more cultural side actually it's kind of career inspired and it um builds on kind of or not even career but maybe it's another um Background, but it builds on kind of how media works within that culture yeah. and that culture specific societal issues. There's so many different ways of using it. I just need some context.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Or with Squid Games, it could just be you're thinking about violent children's games. That
1: exactly. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that deep lethal. either. It could just be <laughs> this is lethal. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so. It is the final week of September 2022. You are open to submissions. What mm-hmm. are you looking out for? Uh, what are you hoping to add to your list this year?
1: So I've really been concentrating on building the graphic novel side of my list. I love graphic novels. I think they're awesome. I think they're such an exciting new way, well not new, new for the UK market <laughs> way of storytelling and um you know Heartstopper's done incredibly it's lovely to see so many people engage with it I'd love something in that space um not necessarily a Heartstopper again although like if you're writing that and illustrating that please send it to me I would 100% love a new Heartstopper but um anything that's really exploring kind of how illustration and text work together how you can push the boundaries there anything graphic novelly, I'm really down for um I would like to find something uh, in the romantic space. space. Um, it's, you know, when we were talking about kind of the, the stereotypical YA with swoony vampires, I actually want that. I'd love a sexy <laughs> vampire book. <laughs> yeah, please send that <laughs> to
0: love me. Love triangles, enemies yeah, to lovers. Yeah, all of that. I Where love an enemies always. to
1: lovers, only one bed, various, you know, <laughs> can't stop, I'm going to stab you or kiss you. I want that. I'd love <laughs> something like that. I actually don't have anything like that on my list. Um, and then kind of in the younger space, I once, I love really like out there, funny chapter books or young readers. I mean, I loved Grimwood. I think that is absolutely genius. And I'd love something a bit like that. Um, just something that feels very kind of fresh and funny and silly, but like has a bit of an edge to it. Um, I grew up reading all of the series of Unfortunate Events and that sort of thing. And I think that sort of humour totally still engages kids all over the place. I'd love something like that. Um, I'd love to find, in middle grade, I'd really like to find another kind of big cinematic adventure. Um, that's the sort of books I always love reading. But I'd also love to find something that has kind of more queer characters in middle grade. I think there's a lot in YA now. It's really opened up in terms of inclusivity, but yeah. not tons in the middle grade space. Um, I'd, you know There are a few books about kind of starting to realise your identity as someone who's LGBTQA but there's not tons where that's just part of it. Yeah, Um, I'd like to find more like that. Um, But also, I mean, I'm really open. I haven't got my next big thing. I like being kind of taken by surprise by things. I don't think anything that I've sold this year or that's been a big success to me is something that I thought I was looking for. Um, They've just kind of really hit the spot. I mean, I'm always looking for an interesting voice. We're a very commercial agency, so I like things that feel like they could be big and commercial. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: You know, I don't think commercials is a dirty word. I really like it. I love books that could be on supermarket shelves, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, ult- you know, I am looking to raise voices who've been previously marginalized. So again, that's something I really want to focus on. But I do know, it's a really wide list. That's probably is not it? actually <laughs> that helpful.
0: <laughs> I think that was great because you've got enough specifics in there, but then also open to to most things and, and i mean you just...
1: basically send me every book if you think it's <laughs> so, good
0: <laughs> send everything <to> literally the... <laughs> everything. <laughs> children's books only but everything <laughs> um awesome no i think that's that's going to be very helpful especially to people who are on the hunt for an agent who, to add to their uh list of, of agents to submit to
1: okay.
0: and before we get on to the final question um have to ask have you ever wanted to write yourself
1: um as a kid definitely um my house was full of like little notebooks where i'd created books or you know pulled all the pages out and stuck them back together differently and create a little book and i used to um yeah they were great although my sister was more of an illustrator so hers always looked better than me i was really upset (laughs) (laughs) um and i used to get like overly involved in homework and write really long you know we had to write a story and mine would be like 20 pages and i now feel extremely sorry for the teachers less so now that I work in publishing. I think, you know, I know how hard it is and I know what I'm good at and I'm, I'm a good editor, but I don't know where you get the ideas from. I did, <laughs> in lockdown, I tried to write something and um, I wrote four chapters and it was just people walking into rooms. I couldn't somehow write the scene. They just like arrived at the scenes. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> I think that maybe kind of uh, made a bit of a marker that, Possibly, writing isn't for me. I'm much more of an editor, much better in the background.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. To be honest, I'm pretty sure I've watched movies and television where it's just people walking into rooms.
1: And there were great scenes of people walking into rooms, but <laughs> nothing happened in them. I realised I couldn't oh, write a conversation, right. so they'd yeah, like walk yeah, into yeah. the room and then I'd be like, okay, next scene.
0: <laughs> it's not the, the West Wing style like power conversation as they walk through the corridors.
1: No, it is people just walking <laughs> through the corridors in silence.
0: <laughs> okay, amazing, amazing. Um, well, that brings us to the final question, which as always is... If you were stranded on a desert island, which book would you take with you?
1: Um, so the smart-ass part of me <laughs> wants to say a desert island survival guide or any sort nice. of self-help manual. But that's clearly not the answer that these questions are actually for. Um, it can
0: be if that's, you know, what you want to put out there into the no, world. No, <laughs> I mean, I think really
1: <laughs> the, re- the real answer is um, Charmed Life by Diana Jones. jones loved that book so much when I was a kid so much so that I stole it from our school library and then we moved away and I never gave it back oh, and I uh, felt guilty about it for years but like in a kind of proud of myself way as well I just I was just like I don't care I love this so much I can't possibly not have it no one else will love it as much as me so it doesn't matter it's kind of the way I thought um but I just think I could read that over and over and still love it is everything I love in a kid's book. Like everything. It really kind of, it has magic. It has humor. It's a really clever way of looking at the world. It's got great characters. It's got the first really nasty female character I ever really came across. Um, The main character's sister is just horrible. She's an awful person. And I loved that. I still really like kind of angry or difficult characters, particularly female characters but Gwendolyn in this was she was like an outright awful person and I never almost hadn't known that girls were allowed to be like that so I found it really exciting Um, and I could just read that book once a month quite happily you know like if I was stuck (laughs) on an island didn't have any others I would I would go back to it all the time I'd love it so that's Probably the real answer, even if a survival guide would be a much more sensible idea.
0: Boring idea is what it would be. Much
1: more boring. Also, like (laughs) you know, probably not going to survive anyway. Might as well have a nice time while I'm there.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's great. No, It's always great to hear when people give an answer about something that they are so deeply connected with and like from a young age.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's a little embarrassing. And also I should probably say, don't steal from libraries, but (laughs) I was eight
0: and if you do you still have that copy yeah
1: yeah oh, I've still wow. got it I can you re- could give you know, it back I could
0: oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I should pretend I don't have it shouldn't I <laughs>
0: <laughs> amazing well thank you so much um and thank you for for coming on the podcast and, and telling us all about your career and your work and, and your experience in publishing
1: oh it's been a pleasure thank you so much for having me
0: And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up with what Lydia is doing, you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Lydia R. Silver. And if you're thinking of submitting, do head over to the Dali Anderson website and find out more about Lydia, her colleagues, and uh, most importantly, the specifications for submissions. You don't want to be getting those wrong. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at RightAndWrongUK or on Instagram at RightAndWrongPodcast. Thanks again to Lydia and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for hanging around until the end. If you're interested in starting your own podcast but aren't really sure what that looks like, I can't recommend Zencaster enough. It's so simple to host, record and download your podcast with and it even has a built-in transcription AI. It functions entirely in the internet browser, which means all your guests have to do is click on a link and they'll be brought into the conversation. If you click on the link in the description, you'll get 30% off the first three months. All you have to do is click on the link in the description. Thanks again for supporting the show and we'll see you in the next episode.